You're listening to The Fallout with Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Thanks for tuning in. You'll see that we can be. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Fallout. Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis back for some more sports fun. This week we talk about the conclusion of the MLB season with some who's to blame as well as a little bit about the offseason as well um, with some managerial hirings including the shocking hiring of Tony La Russa. and then we look at the NFL and look at our predictions all the way back from June and see how we did and I'll, I'll give you a little preview went a little better than we thought it was gonna go so let's jump right in And you know what? Actually, before we jump right in, we want to do a couple things. We want to, A, congratulate the Dodgers for their win, and B, get mad at Justin Turner for his big L, <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to put it simply. So um, let's do the first one. One, two, three. Congratulations, L.A. Yeah, they were the best team in baseball all year yes. long. Probably yes. deserved it. Hard for me to say as a Yankee fan, but... Um, you have no idea. <laughs> they, they absolutely deserved it. Um, most complete team in baseball. By far. From pitching to bullpen to lineup. That lineup is so scary. Um, yep. And you saw it all postseason and especially in the World Series. Um, just refused to go away. So, And it's been years of this in the making for the Dodgers. Obviously, their eighth or ninth playoff appearance in a row. I forget which. Um, but I, this team is built. For the for years to come, I mean, they're not done. They're, it's not like they're at the end of their window. They have many, many years to compete for World Series titles. Uh, I think this is the first of a few for them in the next couple of years. And they have guys coming in the pipeline who we haven't even really seen in the majors. Gavin, I, Lux. Gavin Lux, for <laughs> example. Um, so they they kind of just don't stop. Um, got a lot, a lot of got a lot of guys coming, but um, the celebration wasn't without controversy. Um, when Justin Turner, who tested positive for COVID-19, joined the team for the celebration. And it goes even beyond that because his first positive test was the day before. And the MLB let him play the game the next day because they were worried it was a false positive. Um, you I can't do that. I would have gone the other way with that. Yeah, you can't <laughs> um, do that. <laughs> but um, What's the point in testing if we're going to assume it's a false positive? Well, it, it was crazy because he was pulled mid-game, and he's not the kind of guy you pull mid-game. Um, so we were all we were texting each other. We were like, "What the fuck is going on?" Because because yep. we were surprised. And then it came out he tested positive for COVID nineteen. Um, and then the team was celebrating, and he comes back out on the field. He's hugging people. Takes his mask off. Um, to put it simply, it was just a shit show. Yeah, kind of classic MLB. <laughs> given how the season went a little bit. Um, I, I, this falls on who, whoever in MLB is there to tell him, no, you can't come back on the field, was just simply too nice to Justin Turner. And it's hard to be, it's hard to tell him no there. I get it. It's very hard to tell a guy no after he's been in the postseason for how many years in a row with this Dodgers team. He's one of the biggest players on their postseason roster. And it's such a big reason for their success. But you got you just got to do better. As MLB, you got to say no. And some of this falls on Turner as well, obviously. Last point on this. I think the the scariest part is, yes, they were in the bubble with their families and things like that. Um, but you not only, A, expose your teammates once you know you're positive, who are about to go home to their families and go home and leave that bubble. But the other thing is Manfred was out there, MLB officials were out there, and reporters were out there. Um, 
And we've already seen from the White House how it can pass from um, reporters to the from from the people they're reporting on to the reporters. Um, as a couple White House reporters got it when President Trump got it, um, it's it's a scary thing to think about, and we won't know the actual fallout (pun intended) um, <laughs> from this for a couple of weeks. But to add um, one more thing. Uh, on first take, Stephen A. said he got some info from from one of his quote-unquote insiders, made me laugh, but uh, saying this isn't just about the fact that they're already in the bubble. Jansen has had heart issues in the past, and we know how COVID can affect people with heart issues. Jock Peterson had his one-year-old kid on the field who has had health complications in his year being alive, so there, there's more to it than just putting other people at risk like there, there's knowing he he has to know turner has to know at some point that his one of his teammates for a long time has heart issues and there's there got there's got to be more that goes into his thought process before just running out on the field getting into the photo op and taking his mask off to smile for the camera and we're hoping for good things we haven't heard of any new positives um but the other thing too and this is really the last point on this um <laughs> I don't know if they're continuing to test the players or not now that they're done with the season and the bubble has gone. So um, we might not hear anything because they might not get tested again. So who knows? But it was bad on Justin Turner. It was bad on the MLB. Um, and to put it simply, got to do better, especially if we want a 2021 season, which I do. <laughs> so we're going to jump in and talk about the MLB and I'm sad it's over. <laughs> I'm just gonna start yep. with that. Uh, so we're doing we're doing who's to blame. We did this with NFL and Owen two teams in the past. So first topic, pretty simple. Um, Drew, who's to blame for the Rays loss in Game Six? And I know we have slightly different oh. opinions on this. I, and what's funny um, is it is slightly different, but we feel like we're worlds and, apart. And you, you, you've you've been you've been playing it up as if. It is polar opposites, red, blue, like the fucking election coming up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like that. That's how you're playing this up. That's not what it is. It's like slight little. I, I think we both agree on the biggest mistake in Game Six, which was putting in Nick Anderson for Blake Snell. Um, and and I'm not even. I, sh- I shouldn't have said Blake Snell because I think taking him out is the completely wrong move, and I know you think it's the wrong move too. But we kind of differ in our reasoning there. We both agree that bringing in Nick Anderson in that situation makes no sense. Why bring in a right-handed pitcher against Mookie? Mookie's stats are literally like twice as good. Like that's not even an exaggeration against righties this year versus lefties. A 14% strikeout rate versus righties and a 27% strikeout rate against lefties. Uh, a double OPS of 1,061 versus a 531 OPS against lefties. Like, his splits this year are absolutely insane. Uh, And he chooses to take the lefty out for Mookie Betts, who then has Seager after him, another lefty. Then you have Turner, the righty, and then Muncy, the lefty. So essentially, you want a lefty for three of the next four hitters. Takes him out, goes to Nick Anderson, who's given up a run in his last six playoff appearances. That's that's the that's the so, biggest so, loser here. Yeah, yeah. That's the loser. I'm I'm interrupting you just to say this is not the Nick Anderson. We're talking about two different Nick Andersons, yeah. right? Tale There's the Nick stories. Anderson who since he got to Tampa has a 1.43 ERA across 42 appearances and a K per 9 of 16. Yes. That was not the Nick Anderson we were seeing, plain and simple. Um not there was not the Nick Anderson who had a 0.55 ERA and an ERA plus of 780 this year. Um <laughs> it was not that Nick no. Anderson plain and simple. So um 
like you said, had allowed six, um, or, sorry, had allowed runs in six straight uh, appearances. But the other piece of it as well is he's a fastball guy. He beats you with his fastball. He's got good secondary stuff too. But when it comes down to it, he wants to beat you with that fastball at 95, 96, 97, sometimes even higher than that. Um, so while we both have an issue with taking Snell out, period, the bigger thing that I was worried about was putting Nick Anderson in in that spot. Yeah. Um, that seemed like a Diego Castillo spot um, who relies a little bit more on that slider and sometimes the breaking pitches can get Mookie um, or a Fairbank spot who once again wants to beat you with the fastball but hadn't allowed runs in six straight appearances. So, so I got to interrupt um, you now. Now, now I got to do it one time and – because you, you fed perfectly into what I wanted to go to next, which is the three best relievers on the Rays. Cash trust his, trusts his bullpen so much, but his three best relievers are all righties. That's a tough spot to take out a lefty starting pitcher who has nine strikeouts through five innings and has allowed one hit until the Austin Barnes hit. At, at, that's why, to me, that's, a, that's why it's the toughest to not blame Cash for that, because if you're just looking strictly at analytics and, and and matchups, and we know he's the matchup king, you can't put in a righty pitcher there. But that's his only options out of the pen. Otherwise, you're looking at Aaron Laub, who's just like, come on, you don't, you're not going to put him in in that situation in Game Six up one. Uh, but but it's really the righty lefty thing. You your three best arms are all righties, and you went away from the lefty. You go to a righty, which feeds right into the Dodgers' top of their lineup. That's why it's a problem to me. So are you saying you blame him for the entire game? <laughs> Classic. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, because as you said in our chat during the game, you don't win a World Series game one nothing against this Dodgers team. You don't. So so we literally agree. That is the only place we but disagree. But if I'm going to blame anyone for this game because the segment's who's to blame. If I'm going to blame anyone, it's Kevin Cash. It's the Rays offense is where, where I'm going with that. But um, to finish that point about uh Snell um right when that happened I was not surprised and, and um, neither was I neither was and I I I was surprised so many people were surprised though because this is who Kevin Cash and Blake Snell have been the entire year I mean he doesn't let him get through six he hasn't pitched in the seventh inning a single time this year finished and he's only pitched inning. two innings in the sixth right and, and he's pitched two total innings across four appearances in the sixth inning um and he has a 13.5 ERA. So um, so I was not surprised. Uh, I still think it was dumb because when a guy's doing what Blake Snell is doing, you let him go until he's not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, yes. yes. In the World Series, yes. He, he had – and one hit to Austin Barnes doesn't make me think he's not doing no. that anymore. Um, but the Rays offense is to blame. So the bottom line is Blake Snell could have gotten through the six. Blake Snell was not coming out for the seventh, right? Even if Blake Snow retires them one, two, three, he's not coming out for the seventh. Um, you're not winning that game one to nothing. You're not. You really, really aren't. Um, that Dodgers offense had home runs in like a record number of consecutive games in the postseason. You're telling me you're going to beat that team one nothing? I, I literally already said you weren't going to win that game one nothing. So, 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 why are we blaming Kevin Cash when um, his moves led to three runs allowed? <laughs> Three runs allowed by the best lineup in baseball all year long. Because because and in the World Series, a momentum shift like that is so big. And you know this. You're just denying it for the sake of... I'm not denying that the momentum shifted, but 
it's not Kevin Cash's fault that his lineup went out and got one run. It's Wait, not. I, I, and one I, I, run wasn't winning that game. I'm watching a press conference. So, so yes, 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 Ke- Kevin Cash deserves some of the blame. He does. Don't get me wrong. He does. It makes sense. Um, that move was terrible. And, yes, that move shifted the feel of Thank the you. game. Um, but, <laughs> but Kevin Cash can't go out there and hit for his guys. Kevin Cash can't. I think a Rosarena came up in two huge spots. Two huge spots throughout the game and didn't come through either time. You know, like we hit a bomb in the game. Guys so let's chill been, on him. <laughs> but but I'm saying, like, my point is is the guys who have been coming through all series all year long aren't gonna come through for him. They're gonna leave you're gonna leave nine guys on base in a World Series game and only score one run. I d I don't see how you blame the manager for that. Um, Look, we, especially we, when he, he's putting out the guys who have come through for him all We year know this long. about the Rays. They set a record in the postseason for number of games in a row with eight or fewer hits. Uh, and they still made the World Series. This team just doesn't it, – it, does, it didn't really hit in the playoffs. For, for lack of better explanation, they did not hit well in the playoffs. So Rosarena carried his weight more than any player in the playoffs this year, and that includes Corey Seager. Uh, I agree. You still can't sleep on how much of a momentum change that is. I mean, I'm watching a press conference with Cody Bellinger on the field right after they win the World Series, and A-Rod asks him, he's right in his ear, asks him, how much did that change your game plan and the feel of the game and your momentum? And Cody Bellinger just laughs. He says, yeah, Snell was gross. Uh, So when he was pulled, yeah, we felt a little better about the game, and then we were able to rally. Like, it's very clear that was a turning point in the game. And there's if there's a turning point in a World Series game, that leads to a change in lead, and that change in lead is never taken back. That's who I'm going to blame every single time. If there's a reason that that can be avoided, and there was by just keeping Snell in, then I'm going to blame the guy that made that decision. That's why I put it on Kevin Cash. That that momentum change, you just can't make an excuse for that in an elimination game in the World Series. To me, that's just... it. It's what Kevin Cash does. So, so- it's how they got there, but at some point... You have to look at this a little differently. Snell was pitching better in this game than he had his entire regular season. Uh, also, I want to point out one thing. You, you shared you sh- let, let, let one me, thing, let one me thing, one thing, this, one more thing. You haven't let me finish a point the entire That's time. That's okay. I'm going to finish mine anyways. You said 13 ERA in the sixth inning this year. You're right. In a two-inning sample size, four appearances. He wasn't good in the sixth inning, but small sample size. In his career, a 3.38 ERA in the sixth inning, which is actually lower than his fifth inning ERA, which was a 4.5. That means nothing to me, though, because much of that was from his one really good year. Um, I'm just saying. But uh, the point I want to counter with, what if I told you that um, the Dodgers' three runs that they scored in this game um, was the least amount that they had scored all series? Imagine if they had scored none. They scored... You're, we, you just admitted the game wasn't ending one nothing. I mean... If you leave Snell in for how much longer, and then you bring in their best right-handed relievers against good matchups until you, you bring can't. in Nick Anderson, who'd allow no, you don't. Six I don't starts. bring in Nick Anderson. We already agree that's the worst Nick, part. Nick Anderson was gonna pitch in that game. Yeah, he wasn't. Gonna, was he wasn't gonna, gonna pitch in nothing. that game with hopefully with a one-run lead and a runner on base. Hopefully, that's not when he's gonna come into that game. First, you bring in Fairbanks okay, and Castillo. My point. Before anyone my else. point. My point. It, once again, not letting me finish, dude. You do what? <laughs> the pitching what? plan. The, the pitching. The pitching plan. You interrupted me mid-sentence. What are you fucking getting mad at? Where I was going with that is the pitching plan clearly worked. They allowed three runs. It worked. Thank you for walking away from the mic because now you can't interrupt me. 
The pitching plan worked. They allowed three runs. That's the least they allowed all series. One was also the least they scored all series. Maybe we should look at the bats and not just Kevin Cash. After that first inning, they went eight innings. Eight. Eight without scoring. They struck out 16 times in the game. 16 strikeouts. Look, you're right. The offense didn't perform. But you can't point at a single guy on the offense and say, you can't, in my opinion, you can't say... In a, I'm not, I'm not a, doing a, that. I'm blaming no, the offense, period. Hey, you can't look at an entire offense and say the entire offense is to blame. To me, in a who's to blame segment, what, what's the fun in that? <laughs> what's the fun in picking the entire offense? Offenses have off games, but when you're in a position to win, and I know one nothing is really fucking tough to win against the Dodgers, almost impossible... But when you're in a position to win and the reason you lose a lead is because of that decision, I'm going to go with that. Even if they might have lost the game anyways, at some point you have to look at one decision or one person or one player that changed the course of the game. And to me, that's Kevin Cash's decision and it's it's kind of clear to me. Yes, they needed to hit better, but shit happens. But shit like that doesn't have to happen. Cash made that decision just looking at his charts and seeing his sixth inning stats and not looking at any other part of the game. Guess how many times the Dodgers were shut out this season? Oh, yeah, let me guess. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Wow. You guessed well, it. Well, when you're in the World Series against probably you the best it. pitching staff in the league, there's a chance <laughs> of getting shut it. out. Hey, Drew, next question. Guess how many times they scored one run? <laughs> Is it zero? It's two. <laughs> it's two. Against two. Do you know? Padres and Giants, and then once... Um, I'll give him three because the Braves held him to one run in game one of the Thought NLDS. So. That that aged well. Um, NLDS, but, nice. Good one. NLCS, my bad. Jeez. Okay. Um, but either way, they scored one run three times. Hang on, that aged well. Fuck you. Out. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> got shut out zero times, and we're going to blame Kevin Cash for his pitching plan when the Rays offense scored one run. One run was not winning that game. Cash knew it. He did what he did all year. Um, was it a bad move? Absolutely. Is he the main person to blame? No. Why don't we look at the offense that, again, struck out 16 times. 16. I hear you. But, buddy, it's you and you alone on the top of this mountain. It's you no, and it's you not. alone. No, oh, yes, it is. Everyone, no, everyone's no, blaming cash People, like me, and they should be. No, no, no one has said, like, I purely blame Kevin Cash for the entire no, series. No, I didn't say I said. purely. Oh, I, first of all, I said for game six. We were going to make two separate segments out of this, but we've gone on way too long. I would not blame cash for the series. I was saying that after the game as a meme. Uh, game six, I don't. 100% blame Cash, but if we're doing who's to blame, I'm going to pick Kevin Cash. Are you going to 100% blame their lineup for not hitting well? And I, I no. said Kevin Cash deserves some blame. Thank you. No, neither of us are doing 100%, so get that out of here. I think we just disagree on the degree to which each thing is to yes, blame. Yes, absolutely. So, per usual, semantics. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, because there was a lot of I agree in that segment, um, but, but let's move on to the second piece um, Drew, I don't know if you saw this today, but Brad Hand was let go by the Indians over ten million dollars. Ten, crazy. Uh, and he was he was one of the best relievers in baseball this last year. Um, and they put him on outright outright waivers um, and aren't going to re-sign him uh, if they have the chance, or if, even if they get the chance to. So um, I, I think this is foreshadowing for much of what we're going to see in the. Uh, upcoming offseason, which is a lot of people being cheap, 
a lot of teams not willing to spend any money because of the lost revenue from the last season. Um, so my question to you is, who's to blame for that? Yeah, first of all, I can't believe that Hand is on waivers. I mean, I can because it's the Indians and they're notoriously a cheap franchise. Um, and they're about to dump, and I think they're honestly going to try to rebuild. I see them trading Lindor too. So Hand doesn't make a lot of sense for them, but still, you're talking about like a top five reliever in the MLB, maybe top three. Converted every save opportunity he got this year with a 2.08 ERA. This guy is as good as it gets. Uh, who's to blame for this? I mean, it's just a shit show. I don't know. I honestly don't know if there is anyone to blame for this. Um, I wish the negotiations for the season resuming earlier this season, when, when it finally did start late July, I wish those negotiations had gone better. Uh, but there's either way, there's not really a way to get fans in the stadiums. Um, that's, that's the way they're going to get revenue. These, these owners and the clubs, and until those owners and the clubs get the revenue, they're going to complain about it like crybabies, like they have the entire bargaining period. So we, we know this about MLB owners. I guess I am leaning towards blaming them, but we already know this about them. We knew this was coming. It's just a shitty realization of what the truth is of this offseason, and it sucks for guys like Trevor Bauer who are lined up for mega deals that might get a one-year deal and have to prove themselves yet again. Who are you blaming? So I think instead of blaming one person, because yes – the MLB owners could pay that $1 million buyout for hand or um, could just pay his $10 million contract when you have one of the best relievers in baseball. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they could all do that. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is yes, um, it is not their fault that coronavirus happened. It is not their fault that fans aren't in the stands. Um, so it's tough for me to just blame them uh, outright for this. So no one's to blame, I think, but... Let's talk a little bit about what this means. You mentioned Bauer. How about guys like Ozuna and DJ LeMahieu and P- and teams like that? Like, like I think the Yankees might let LeMahieu walk if he doesn't agree to their price. Um, I, I really, really do. And he's probably the most important bat in that lineup, save for maybe Aaron Judge. But I think I'd take TJ over Judge on the importance of the lineup at this point. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of guys who are either going to sign for way less than they're worth or guys who hold out in the Kimbrel and Keuchel fashion from a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was um, that didn't work out for either party. Uh, no. So, poor Craig Kimbrel. Poor Craig Kimbrel. God, I feel for the guy, and I hope he can come back somehow, but it just looks like his slider's flattened out, and that was his pitch. He's also um, a douche, so not poor him. Uh, poor him because of what he did for us. I'm always biased towards him. He was like my favorite player for years. Oh, man. What you're talking about with DJ, though, is true. I I agree. I think this is the one time that the Yankees won't really step up to the plate and just give the blank check. Um, and that's not a dig at you. I know it might sound like it. It, it really isn't. I wish my team could do the same, you know? Um, and that, that he is your most important hitter right now. He's the most stable guy in your lineup. He, you, he will be there at least 90% of the games. Uh, he's at least more durable than 90% of your lineup, that's for sure. And you know what you're going to get out of him. He's a proven guy. Uh, first guy to ever win a batting title in both leagues. That's crazy stat. Mm-hmm. Ozuna for the I think, Braves. I think, I think he's a top 10 player in baseball. I Yes, I know. I interrupted you that time. I just went before you switched to Ozuna. Yeah, yeah I got you. Um, you know what? I got some breaking news right now that says maybe they aren't going to be cheap they they picked up zach burton's option which means that he stays under contract for the next two years um and 
So it was a $14 million option for 2022. If the Yankees had declined it, Britt would, ha- would have had the chance to opt out right now yep. going into this year. So they just picked up a $14 million option. So maybe they aren't going to be cheap. And uh, sorry I interrupted, but that was oh, that's breaking okay. news happening right now. It might show their priorities, um, though. I mean, I don't know. It's a bullpen league now. Bullpen's more important than ever. Having a guy like Britton's invaluable. Um, I don't know. That's interesting, though. That is interesting. And I don't think DJ walks. I don't because I, I think if the Yankees aren't going to pay him what he deserves, what team is exactly? Yes, um, exactly. But yeah, it's it, it's tough to it's tough to nail down because um, when you get a guy like that, um, you you really can't let him go. And I don't know you feel the same way about Ozuna. Yeah, for him, I feel actually it's a little different because he just had by far the best year of his career. With DJ, you kind of know you're going to get at least, what, a top 20 hitting season? At the very least, I would say. Mm-hmm. With Ozuna, I mean, last year, and, and granted, he, there are reports he like didn't like playing with the Cardinals, although I'm kind of taking that from John Heyman, so take that as you will. But reports he didn't love playing with the Cardinals. He had a 254 batting average with them last year. Uh, I guess I should say two years ago now. How about that? Obviously, obviously the best year of his career with the Braves, and we're never the kind of team to sign a guy right after the best year of his career. We're just financially, we're not there. We're not a top 10 uh, budget team, so it kind of just takes us out of the picture. But I think for our ball club, he was the perfect fit. The perfect fit. We have a star defensive player coming up in Christian Pache. He's already up now. We saw what he can do on defense. You saw his cannon of an arm. Good God. And and if if we got DH in the NL, it would make so much more sense. Reports are indicating it might not be in the NL this coming year, which I think is a terrible decision, but it'll be involved in the CBA agreement instead. I still think regardless we should go for a guy like Ozuna, but I just don't think we can get it done with, with the current finances, um, with no DH, and, and it's no fluke that Freddie Freeman just won MVP with Marcelo Ozuna hitting behind him. I mean, Ozuna might not be the most important bat in this lineup, but he made Freddie the most important. He made Freddie the MVP. So this, I mean, that's a huge loss for us. I'm kind of terrified of where the season goes because I've seen us have garbage cleanup hitters a, a ton in the last 10 years, including Nick Markakis hitting cleanup behind Freddie Freeman in a year where we made the playoffs. That's just a disgrace. Uh, well, it, 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 it's interesting because you guys did the same thing with Donaldson last year. Yep. Um, so if you can find this offseason's Donaldson or Ozuna, then uh, more power to you. But like we're you said, two for two on one year deals. But right. I'd love to get um, something done for more than a year. I'd love to lock up that, a guy. We got to wrap up because we droned on big time with this one. Um, and there's still baseball news we haven't gotten to um, that we'll get to in another segment. So now we're going to move to the National Football League, the NFL, and um, it's time for some roasting of ourselves because of our preseason picks that we did in June. So I want to clarify, we did this in June, so we didn't even know who had opted out yet. We didn't know who was going to get hurt in preseason. We didn't know who was going to get hurt um, during the regular season. We had no clue. We did this in June. Um, And looking back, to be honest with you, (laughs) all things considered, (laughs) they're not terrible we both made a couple that were just not great um but that's to be expected in june um but other than those few picks we did a pretty good job yep um so i want to let you go first what was your worst pick my worst pick and and can we agree to call the nfc east a wash 
Yeah, so so the, the <laughs> NFCs were not counting. Um, <laughs> you had the Eagles really good. I had the Cowboys really good. Um, just four shitty teams in one division. And That's we were wrong about both, yeah. Just yeah. four really bad teams. Really, really bad teams. Really, really um, bad football teams. And banged up teams, too. Like, like, I think we both agree if Dallas and Philly were healthy, they're decent football teams. They're not great football teams, but mm-hmm. they're decent football teams, but they're really not healthy, and it's going to be an ugly finish to the season um, for that entire division. Absolutely. So that's a wash. So we're not counting that. Wash. What's your worst pick? My worst pick? Um, on, honestly, one of the worst picks I had is the Cardinals going 5-11 and because they look legit. But if you remember when we did this, I said the Cardinals would get off to a hot start. And then slow way down. I have them. I think I had them finishing zero and six in their last six games. Uh, so that that still could work out. But I think that I have them five and eleven. I don't think they're going to finish five and eleven. I think they'll cl- finish closer to five hundred, maybe a playoff spot. Uh, I think they're pretty legit defense, way better than I envisioned. Um, my worst pick is probably the Bills at thirteen and three as the two seed in the in the AFC. They're I thought their defense was a lot better than it is. It's not great this year. Josh Allen's been phenomenal, and that offense has been working on every cylinder except for the running game. I thought Devin Singletary would take a step forward, and if he didn't, Zach Moss could, and neither of them have performed really up to even close to their potential, I think, at the beginning of the year. If they have a running game, this team is terrifying uh, from an offensive standpoint, but they're they're already sitting at 5-2, uh, I don't see them going what eight and one to finish the season. I just don't. Uh, I'd love for not. it to happen. I love this Bills team, but that's probably my worst pick. And and right underneath them, also the Patriots at ten and six. Patriots won't finish over five hundred, and if they do, I think it's a miracle this year. What are so, yours? And I know you got a bad one. I have one really bad one, but I, but I also think the most interesting one um, might be the the Patriots. Um, we both had them at ten and six, and. Why that's interesting is because they looked like 10 and 6 was very attainable. They yes. really did um, before Cam Newton got COVID. And since Cam Newton got COVID, he hasn't been the same quarterback. Um, plain and simple. So if he can be like he was the first couple weeks, I still don't think 10 and 6 is out of the question. I don't think they'll get there. Um, but I it's agree. not out of the question yet. Um, so, but, but that one's the most interesting. My worst pick was easily the Vikings at 11 and 5. Um I <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at that roster, and then you, when we did this, they didn't have they didn't even have Yannick Ngakwe yet, and then they added Yannick Ngakwe. Um, you look at this roster; it doesn't really make sense why they're so bad. Um, they have talent and they have names, and Dalvin Cook is a top two running back in the NFL at this point, maybe three, maybe four. A couple arguments to be made there, but. Um, definitely a top five running back in the NFL, probably top four. Um, and I just don't get it. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I just don't get why they are so, so bad. And yet they are. And I, Kirk cousins, um, has been never awful. been amazing. And yet somehow took a step back. Yeah. Um, I really didn't have that. Um, I think if Kirk cousins looked like Kirk cousins last year, even, um, they'd be fine. <laughs> they really would. Um, Okay, so transitioning, what's your best pick? Best pick, um, 
I'm proud of my Packers pick at 12 and four. I think a lot of people were kind of sleeping on them after they just came off a 13 and three season because they didn't add anything. But when you go 13 and three, and your biggest division rival goes to the shitter in the Vikings, you don't really have to get better. Uh, so I had them 12 and four, and I feel pretty damn good about that right now. But I think my favorite one is the NFC South standings. I have the Bucks at 12 and 4 over the 11 and 5 Saints and I think that division could finish exactly that way. I think a lot of people didn't believe in this Bucks team because it's been the Bucks of old for the past 10 years. They've been the most like consistently mediocre to bad team in the NFL. Uh they j- they've put it together, man. Their defense looks really really nice. Uh, we've seen what Brady's done. I mean, he's not the same quarterback he used to be, but he doesn't even need to be. Uh, and he's surrounded by weapons on that offense. Ronald Jones, when Fournette went out, Jones picked up so much of the slack. He might just be their go-to back going forward. I I know Fournette got even carries with him last week when he came back, but Jones looks good. Um, I'm happy about that pick, the 12 and four bucks. I think they could finish that way and still win the division. I also had the bucks at 12 and four, um, I thought that they'd lose the division of the Saints still, um, and that's still not out of the question. I mean, as banged up as the Saints have been, um, they're still four and two. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they're getting Michael Thomas back. They're they're going to be fine. Um, they're getting hot. They've won three in a row. Um, so I have a lot of confidence in the Saints going forward, and. That'll lead to the next question, but I'll answer my best pick. Um, mm-hmm. I think my best pick might be Vegas making the playoffs. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're close now. They're not quite there. Um, like if the season ended today, I don't think they'd make it. But they're 3-3, three and three and they've shown they can beat really good teams. They already beat the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, so, and Derek Carr looks really, really good. So I, I think those wins tick up in the second half of the season. Um, they're a game out of the playoffs right now. Um, but my best pick, and I didn't, I don't know if I quite reflected this as well as I should have in the standings was probably Miami's defense being really good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, that was probably my best pick. I had Miami finishing at seven and nine. I think that's very possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I said their defense, I don't know if I said top five or top 10, but I said they'd be really, really good, and they have. And so I'm curious what they do this weekend with Tua. That's probably my best pick uh, or best call out from before the season. Um, But I also, I want to ask you, um, the most interesting division in football is probably the NFC West. So I had San Francisco 11-5, Seattle 10-6, and and LA 9-7. I have no idea how that division is going to finish. <laughs> I mean, all four teams are four and three or better. So I, I really, really have no clue how that division finishes. Um, pick a winner right now. Wow. On the spot. Um, I am going to go Seahawks. I think Russ wins MVP and carries him to the division. I'm going to go with the Rams. I, I think the Rams are the most complete team in that division, especially with yep. the Niners as banged up as they are. Yep. Um, Seahawks defense is going to be a problem. They just added Dunlap, but that defense is still a problem, <laughs> to Huge say the problem. least. <laughs> it's one of the worst in the league. Yes. <laughs> it's going to yes. be ugly. Um, I also think the Rams, I, I just, I don't know. I have a good feeling about them. Um, they got a good thing going with that backfield by committee. 
Um, yep. I think getting rid of Cooks actually opened them up a little more and let them do what they do best, which is those two tight end sets with Higby and Everett. Um, I think that makes Goff more comfortable. So yep. they look good right now, and I think it'll stay that way. There's a way this division shakes out where the Niners, who I had at 13-3 and three to start the season, who have just gotten railed by injuries, there's a way this shakes out where the Niners finished dead last in the division. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen. Um, I think they'll start to get healthier and start to win more games, to say the least. And, you know, the Rams have a tough schedule. They do. They do. Um, Very but, tough. But I still think they find a way to win that division. Um, every game in that division is tough. It can go either way. I'm very curious where the Cardinals go from here. Um, they've won three in a row, and I could see them going either direction. But one more question to wrap this segment up. Um, yep. Predict the Super Bowl and who wins. I'm sticking with my pick. It's st- it's aged very well. I have Ravens Packers in the Super Bowl, and I have the Ravens winning it. I th- I think that aged very very well. Uh, if I could replace anything, I might put the Bucks in for the Packers. The Bucks look really really nice, and honestly, the Chiefs have looked better than the Ravens, even though the Chiefs lost to the Raiders a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I'll t- I'll take my original pick, Ravens Packers. What about you? I'm sticking with mine too. <laughs> um, I had Ravens. Uh, sorry, let me start that over. Um, I'm sticking with mine too. I had Ravens Saints. Um, yep. and I still have confidence in the Saints. The fact that they're four and two and Michael Thomas hasn't really played yet should be scary for everyone else. I'm just saying. And if you look at their schedule in the second half, it lightens up a lot, <laughs> a yep. lot. Um, they play the Chiefs once and they play the Niners and they have the Bucks one more time. But other than that, I think they should win. Every single game, they still have you guys twice. So the Falcons. Well, I was gonna, twice. I was gonna say the Falcons twice so, might be a problem for them. <laughs> yeah, but they have the Falcons twice. They got the Panthers left. They got the Broncos. They got the Vikings. All these games are winnable. So I think they will still finish. I had them at fourteen and two. They won't finish fourteen Jeez. and two. But I said when we recorded, no one ever finishes fourteen and two. They weren't gonna finish fourteen and two. Uh, I, I still I, for think what that's worth. I have the Ravens at fourteen and two. I'm holding out hope there. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think I also had them at 14 and 2. Yeah, bad on us. No one ever gets to 14 and 2. Hey, we'll see. Um, we'll see. I think they could. I think someone will this year. I don't think it'll be either of those two teams, to be honest. But yeah. Um the, the Saints would have to win out to get to 14 and 2. They're not gonna win out. <laughs> They're not gonna win um, out. Um <laughs> but I, I do think 12 and 4, 13 and 3 is very, very, very attainable. Um and I think they will still they might not win the division because the Bucks look really good, but yep. if they're a wild card team, they're probably gonna play whoever wins the NFC East. So um should they beat whoever wins the NFC East? Absolutely. That's, yeah. If they if the if the Saints get an opportunity to play anyone in the NFC East, just literally draw them in yeah, to the next no, round. No, no. And and then <laughs> they very well could play the Bucks um in that one four matchup in the division round. So I still feel good about uh, Ravens Saints. To be honest, I don't feel bad enough about it that I'm going to change it. So we we both did way better on this than we thought we would. Yeah, Go seriously, us. proud of us. <laughs> Earlier in the episode, I promised more baseball news. Um, here it is: Tony Larusa hired by the White Sox. Um, we saw reports of this earlier in the week, but I was surprised to say the least because on the surface, the fit isn't necessarily great but you like it more than others i think i just don't hate it i was surprised to see everyone hated it uh it's a hall of fame manager 
at the end of the day, I mean, he gets he got the job done in his career and to the highest of many people's abilities. It's no fluke that he's a Hall of Fame manager. That was my initial thought. So when there was a bunch of backlash online, I didn't really understand where people were coming from. I just see a Hall of Fame manager going to the White Sox. But you kind of gave me the information that made this make a little more sense. Well, so it, it, it mm, I don't know. It's it's interesting because I hear you. This is a Hall of Fame manager, and most of the time, like, like this guy is already in the Hall of not a future Hall of Fame manager. This guy is already in the Hall of Fame as a manager. First time this um, has happened. So when you hear things like that, it's it's hard to say bad things about it on the surface. But then when you look a little deeper, um, the fit for the team I think is horrible, horrible. So the the athletic piece on it today um, talks about how he's talked about how he doesn't believe that analytics should play a role in in-game strategy. If you watched any of the World Series, which was two of the most analytical teams in baseball going at it, then you'll quickly realize that, huh? <laughs> analytics probably <laughs> should play a role um, in in-game strategy. That's why they were in the World Series. Where your goal is to get, like, you know what I mean? Like that I'm seems sorry. pretty straightforward. Maybe he might not have pulled Blake Snell though. I had I had to get that in there. He definitely would have not. He would have let Blake Snell throw 150 pitches because that's what they did back in his day. <laughs> um, that's how fucking long it's been since he managed. But um, the other thing too is he's made some comments about Kaepernick and his whole thing. Um, and the White Sox are one of the most outspoken teams in support of Kaepernick. They knelt before the year this year. Um, I just, on that surface, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Wouldn't you want a manager who encourages things like that um, and encourages his players in 2020 when I think it's more important for athletes to speak out than it ever has been to continue to do that? Um, I, I don't know. It's it, It's... It's frustrating to see because I think there are younger guys who could have gotten a shot um, to lead a younger group of players, and I think it would have been a better fit. What you said about um, his sta- his stance and statements on Kaepernick before in the past is really interesting to me because if you're going to pick a team leader on the White Sox, it's either Jose Abreu or more likely Tim Anderson. Um, and Tim Anderson's one of, if not the most vocal black players in the league about standing up for Black Lives Matter. And so that inherently, if I mean, you could pick every other, the 29 other teams and it might be a better fit. But when your team leader is that vocal about it and the manager has these statements in the past couple of years, that is tough. That is tough. When you told, when you let me know that, I honestly, I did not know Larusa had made those comments. Yeah, the fit doesn't seem right. People are worried about the youth of the players and Larusa not being able to adjust to the youth of the players. I don't think that's the issue here. I think that's overthinking it just a little bit. I, th- I mean, young players play with old guys all the time. Brian Snicker, I'm sorry to bring him up, but he's an old guy, and he's great with young players. Great, great, great with young players. I think that's doable. Um, but with with the, with the things you just said, it doesn't seem like a great fit. Analytics is a part of the game now. You got to grow up. And just realize that I'm sorry. That's just bad. And what? And I forgot until you mentioned this as well. You won today. You won this argument, if you want to call it that, in the chat. Jerry Reinsdorf. This is a Jerry Reinsdorf decision. Yeah, this is. Can I say it? Yes, I want you <laughs> to say it. This is totally him just trying to make up for letting Larusa go before he became a Hall of Famer. 
Um, and Jeff Passan or Jeff P- Passa. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone saw that, but if you, like if you know, you know. Um, <laughs> if, if Jeff Passan or J- Jeff Passan tweeted that this was a Jerry Reinsdorf decision and there were some in the organization who didn't like it, didn't feel good about it, and still don't feel good about it. Um, and so when you already have those internal concerns, again, I, I jumped worrying about the fit. And to your point on Tim Anderson, I want to say this too. Um, the reason why Tim Anderson is one of the most outspoken black players in the MLB is because there really aren't that many anymore. No. Um, that number continues to go down and will continue to go down. And that's a totally different discussion and a totally different issue. But um, I still think hiring a guy like LaRusso, and granted he's already apologized for those comments that happened in 2016. He did it in his press conference. But um, I, I don't think it helps that at all. Yeah, I don't think it sends the right message, but um, we, yeah, we have totally to be, different discussion. We we have to be a little understanding of people that made those statements in 2016 and how they've changed to today's date. A lot has changed, um, and we've learned a lot. I know the two of us have learned a ton, but it still doesn't help the dynamic. You know that still factors in. Tim and the rest of these guys know this about Tony. Uh, it doesn't help. This team could make the next step. And they could take a step back. They did a lot this year. They accomplished, I think, more than a lot of people believe they could. And even if this leads them to a step back, it's just not going to look good on the face from Jerry Reinsdorf. So that's all for this week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Like we promised, weekend episodes every single week. Next week, we will be back with more NFL talk and some talk of the MLB and NBA off-seasons. And also, stay tuned to our Instagram account. We're ramping up the video production there. So enjoy that between episodes.